Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. This week, I'm very excited to discuss Season 3 of Motherland Fort Salem, as well as Gilmore Girls and the second season of Only Murders in the Building. Woohoo! <laughs> it's an all-TV episode today. Yes. Yes, yes, we like those, I think. Yes, we do. We like watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did have a lot of time to watch TV recently when I was sick. So. You did, you did. So did you watch all of this season while sick with the with the Rona? <laughs> no, it's been airing week to week. It just ended, so I was oh. watching it week to week. Week yeah. to week? Oh my yeah, goodness. Yeah, I know. That's so frustrating. It's one of my favorite shows, so I was I was looking forward to it every week. Cool. So is this going to be the last season? Sadly, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. But it will be, the upside is it'll be the last time I talk about this. I think I've talked about this every <laughs> summer so far. That's okay. So what what happened in season three that you can tell us without spoiling us? Give us the premise again for those who forgot. No, I'm totally going to spoil you a little bit. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So the the main premise is that it's set in an alternate world where witches exist and witches signed an agreement in like the 1600s to basically become America's army. Mm-hmm. So every witch who comes of age has to sign up for the army basically. And it follows three students, Abigail Bellwether, Tally Craven, and Rael Collar, and they form a unit in basic training and season one is all about them like getting introduced to Fort Salem where their school and the basic training is and the military is housed. And then season two, well, season one introduced their ancient enemy, the Camarilla who are hunting witches basically. Mm -hmm. And there's also a third faction called the spree who are witches who are protesting the mandatory enlistment. So there's a lot, there's just a lot of like fighting and political stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And season two sees the unit go to war college, but the end of season two, things got really hairy. Oh dear. (laughs) So the, the fort was attacked by the Camarilla and uh, a lot of things happen, and the unit had to go on the run, basically. So season three opens up with them on the run from the United States government. The president, or the the vice president, is after them for the supposed the alleged murder of his daughter, who oh. turned out to be a witch, and had to come to Fort Salem in season two. But I'm not gonna spoil you too too much hopefully but i do have to talk about some of the setup to get into why i i liked season three a lot okay well just like the show in general but the vice president whose name is blanton silver (laughs) which is (laughs) what year is this set in i know it's alternate history but what year is it supposed to be it's set in today's world okay but one of the interesting things is all of the technology is behind where ours is okay because of magic oh okay that makes sense like they have magic and they they just haven't 
advanced technologically as much as um, we have. Okay. But Victor Webster plays Vice President Silver. <laughs> I still can't get over those names. Blanton. <laughs> That's a weird name. Yes. Yeah. Oh, but he is Camarilla. Oh. Yeah. So he's against witches, and that's very clear. And it sets up this dynamic of the United States government against witches, and they have to sort of navigate that. So let's see. One thing that I will say right off the bat is they knew this was the final season going in, which I think is good. But at the same time, they had planned out, like, at least five seasons. Oh. So they have a lot to sort of shove into this, into 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. And I think the pacing at times suffers. But all in all, I think they did what they wanted to do. And the tone was really nice. And I just love the characters in this. And I love all of the relationships. So... That's what really attracts me to the show. Mm-hmm. The main unit. So Rails played by Taylor Hickson. Tally is played by Jessica Sutton. And Abigail is played by Ashley Nicole Williams. And they just like grew so much over the course of three seasons. Mm. They were like little babies <laughs> when, they, <laughs> when they first got to the army. And now they're like coming into their power and coming into their their gifts So Abigail is a really good leader, and I love that for her (laughs) because her mom is a big general in the army, and she had a lot to live up to. Rael is a healer, and she her growth was a lot like she resented the army because her mom was in it, and she almost never saw her mom, and then her mom got killed in action, and she just wanted to, like, flunk out of basic training and get sent to the front lines and die right away, basically. Oh. I know. And she's just really angry in season one, but she found, like, these sisters, and um, she found her love interest, Scylla, which was kind of rocky (laughs) throughout the season. (laughs) And, yeah, she just, like, finds this will to live and this will to do good and fight the you know, bad guys and stuff. And then Tally has the gift of sight. And she's also like, she's got this really strong moral compass, which I love too. (laughs) And she just stands up for what she thinks is right, even if it goes against everyone else. So they've really just like grown separately and together. And I love that the core of this show is the friendship between these three women, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But they do other relationships really well. There are a lot of, like, mother relationships. So <laughs> even though Rael's mom is dead, <laughs> we we do get some stuff revolving around that. Anacostia Quartermaid is played by Demetria McKitty, and I absolutely love her. She is the unit. I can't remember what she's called, really, but she's sort of in charge of them in the first season and she teaches them and watches them grow. And she's, she's like, you guys make me want to tear my hair out, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause they're so exasperating. So she's sort of a mother figure to them. And she and Scylla become really close in season two, which I think is super interesting. And Scylla's an orphan. So she gets close to Anacostia and she gets close to Rael's dad, actually oh. Edwin, which I just think like, all of the parental relationships are really nice and sweet and 
Tally has growth with her mom, even though her mom's not in it a, a lot. And then, you know, there's the relationship between Abigail and her mom, Petra, played by Catherine Lohagquist. And that's just like every time they're on screen together, I'm just like, I love you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> and they hug sometimes. And I'm like, oh, I love that journey for you. <laughs> Aww. So I just really, really love the relationships. And I can't forget to talk about General Alder, who's played by Lynn Renee. And she is the head of the army. She's like 350 years old. Oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's magic that goes into why she lives so long. But she sacrificed herself at the end of season two. And then there's like a lot of weird magical mushroom (laughs) (laughs) that lets her come back. Okay. It's not like a typical form, I guess. So basically, season three sets up this big final battle between witches and Camarilla. So witches and the Spree have sort of joined together, even though their tactics aren't quite agreeing. So you've got the people at Fort Salem, like Petra and Isadora, who is played by Emily LeClerc, and she's wonderful. She's like really obsessed with death and <laughs> mother mycelium mushroom that uh, I'm not going to get into because it's weird and a lot, but <laughs> just know that it's there. Okay. So you've got them at Fort Salem interacting with Blanton and the U.S. government and all that stuff. And Anacostia is there as well. And then you have the unit on the run. And Scylla's there with them. She's played by Amalia Hobe. And then Adil, who's played by Tony Drew. And he's Abigail's boyfriend. So you have them on the run. And they're trying to, like, stay out of the government's crosshairs. But they are contacted by General Alder, Sarah Alder. And she needs Tally to help her collect the pieces of this last song so that's a big part of season three they're collecting all these like lost songs from history um, because when you put them together they're supposed to be really powerful and i think i explained this when the show first started but witches have a special second vocal set of vocal cords oh yeah yeah so all of their magic comes from like singing cool which i think is very cool And that's why the last song is important. Mm -hmm. The thing that really stands out to me is, like I said, the relationships. I do want to mention Adil again, because I think, like, even though this show is really female-centric, I think the male characters are wonderful. Mm -hmm. And all of the ones that we're supposed to root for, like Adil and Edwin, who is played by... (laughs) (laughs) oh edwin is played by hrothgar matthews okay they're all like really sweet and gentle and like like the epitome of non-toxic masculinity and i just (laughs) love that so much yeah and adil and abigail work really well together and it's really cool to see them grow over the seasons Mm -hmm. and one big thing i want to mention is like i said the pacing was kind of strange but Episode 9 out of 10, like, they knew they were getting ready for this big battle. And then they they just took a whole episode to, like, have weddings and get married and, Aww. like, have parties. Yeah. And I just thought it was really 
interesting because it really shows that like you have to, when times are hard, you have to lean on the people that you love and you have to take the joy where you can get it. And it's worth taking time out of the fight to pursue joy and happiness. And I just thought that was really sweet, you know? Yeah. Like I thought the whole season was really hopeful Hmm. and I have come to really appreciate that because I've said this before, but I'm like super tired of all the grim, dark stuff. Yeah. Like I just want stories where the good guys prevail and like they're fighting for the right thing and not everything is terrible and like happiness and joy and love matter. Yeah. And yeah, this show just makes me feel so good. And I think it's done so well. And, you know, I've talked about it for three years in a row and you still haven't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why. I, I will try to give it a shot. Now that it's, it's okay. actually complete, though, that might inspire me to feel like it's not insurmountable and endless or whatever. So Yeah. yeah. And it's three seasons of 10 episodes. So it's only 30 episodes total. Yeah. Which is not terrible. Yeah. And they're all available on Hulu. Hooray. Hooray. And I will yeah. stop there because I talk <laughs> way too much about Motherland. <laughs> no, but it, do- it does sound good and I get why you like it and I will eventually get to it. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> eventually. But while Motherland is, has been one of my comfort shows, you've gone mm-hmm. back to rewatch one of your comfort shows. Uh-huh. You? Yes, I have. So I've been rewatching Gilmore Girls on Netflix, which was originally on, um, I think it was technically the WB and then the CW. (laughs) So that's how old this is. And so I think this is a nice segue because there is absolutely nothing grim or dark about this show at all. (laughs) Unless you want to like unpack some of the like, I don't know, socioeconomic classism issues, but we're going to not get into that. So for those of you not familiar with the (laughs) cozy autumnal toned (laughs) show, Gilmore Girls is about a youngish single mom, Lorelai Gilmore, played by Lauren Graham, who she got pregnant when she was a teenager. And so she has this teenage daughter now who is only 16 years younger than her. And that is Rory Gilmore, played by Alexis Bledel. And Rory's real full first name is also Lorelai. Rory is her nickname. (laughs) So Lorelai named her daughter after herself and raised her completely on her own. And it's really just about their goings on, their relationship, and their kind of living in multiple worlds because Lorelai grew up in privilege. She was from Hartford, Connecticut, and her parents were very, very rich. And when she had her baby and kind of ran away from home, she ended up moving to this very small town called Stars Hollow, also in Connecticut, and not not too far from Hartford, but, but very, very tiny. And she worked as a maid, she worked in hotels, and she really did not take any of her parents' money and just kind of, you know, made her own way in the world, scrimped and saved. And so she inhabits this very small town space now and wants to pretty much not have too much to do with her parents. And the this, the first season opens with this conflict where Rory has gotten into this prestigious prep school and Lorelai cannot afford the tuition. So she 
it's not that she's had no contact with her parents, but she's taken no money from them and doesn't really have a, a very close relationship with them anymore. They pretty much rejected her when she got pregnant. So she ends up kind of going ahead and going to them and saying, Rory really wants to go to this prestigious school and it's going to be really helpful for her and it's going to continue to help her kind of make her way in the world. And she wants to go to Harvard someday. And, you know, this is one step on that journey. And her parents go ahead and say, okay, we will pay for Rory's tuition, but in exchange, you have to come to dinner with us at our house every single Friday night, both of you. (laughs) (laughs) And it's this like, Lorelai is very unhappy about this. Rory is like, that's fine. I can get to know my grandparents better. And Mm -hmm. seeing as her dad is not really in the picture, it's nice to have her grandfather there, especially and all this. And so the title of the show, Gilmore Girls, doesn't just refer to Lorelai and Rory, it also refers to Lorelai's mom, Emily, who is a, (laughs) she is a force of nature. And at time, even though she's pretty terrible and mean and catty a lot of the time, uh, she's also really, really funny. Um, She's played by Kelly Bishop and Kelly Bishop's delivery is (laughs) (laughs) impeccable. She can deliver a scathing, hilarious Bon Mott with the straightest <laughs> expression. And I, I truly don't know how they got through some of these scripts because they're really, really funny. Season one is a little bit rockier of a start. And I think they were trying to be a little bit more dramatic. But by season two and onward, this is an hour show or 45 minutes without commercials. But it is mostly a comedy and kind of a romantic comedy at that because a lot of the plot lines have to do with Lorelai and Rory's love lives and all of the, you know, the misadventures of dating (laughs) that they go through. (laughs) But it is also about family and friendship. And Lorelai has a very good friend, Sookie St. James, played by Melissa McCarthy in one of her Mm -hmm. first big roles. Sookie is the cook at the inn that Lorelai works for. And Rory has some good friends, including Lane, who is played by Kiko Agina. And Lane is really, really into rock music, and she wants to be a musician, but her mom is really strict. And so there's a lot of cute, but also sad storylines that have to do with Lane trying to pull one over on her mom and hide her little punk rock lifestyle from her and pretend to be very, very pious and uh, conservative and whatnot. And then one of the other major characters is Luke, who's played by Scott Patterson, and he runs the local diner that Lorelai and Rory uh, frequent. They are big coffee addicts, and they go to Luke's diner a lot to get huge, huge cups of coffee well into the night, which I worry about their sleep quite a bit, honestly. (laughs) And then Rory also has this kind of frenemy in her life, Paris, played by Eliza Weil, (laughs) and Paris early on is super irritating, but she kind of grows on you. (laughs) Paris like is the most blunt person and just will tell you exactly what she thinks. And uh, they, they grow to be pretty tight friends. Cool. There's a lot of like the things that are set in Stars Hollow are very sort of local color. Like it's a town full of kooky people who have little skirmishes, but they're very low stakes. Everything is so low stakes. Like it'll be like the town selectman Taylor wants to open an ice cream shop next to Luke's (laughs) diner. And Luke is like, I don't know if I want that right next to me. And it's all 
this whole big thing, you know, things like that, <laughs> yeah. where it's just like, this is not a big deal, or people break up over dumb things, and then they get back together or, you know, but there are things that are a little bit more serious occasionally. And there is this undercurrent for Rory, too, where she feels very pulled between a couple of different worlds. She early on is going to this prep school, but then she's living in Stars Hollow, but then her grandparents have all this money and she comes out as a debutante and things, which is like not, she's not super into that, but she goes ahead and does it. And she brings her boyfriend to be her escort. And he's very, I don't know, this is not my scene kind of a thing. And there is a lot of tension too with Rory's dad, Christopher, not being in the picture, but trying but not being like a responsible person. Mm. But you've got to like also remember these these people were so young when they had her and they're now not that old. Like Lorelai is like 32 when the show begins. And I think of myself at 32 and I think <laughs> would I have wanted or been able to to think about having like a a daughter old enough to be driving and stuff and be a junior in <laughs> yeah, high school. That's like, terrifying. That's terrifying, <laughs> right? And so like you know, thinking about being that young. And so they do behave a lot more like sisters. But then at times that can be, which makes them be like very close. They have a very close bond. They're, they call each other their best friend. But that's also like, you don't then have that parental boundary, you know, mm -hmm. or sense of authority or guidance. And so at times when, when there's moments where Lorelai does step up and try to mother Rory or advise her or whatever, Rory's kind of like, I'm not really gonna listen to you like that because, you know, we sit yeah. around and eat junk food together. Like, it's not, <laughs> she doesn't, I think she loves her mom a lot, but it's also like at times I think, oh, you guys need a break or something or some kind of better boundary. So yeah. at times Rory also uses her grandparents as de facto parents, mm. but then there's that tension of like, Lorelai doesn't want want them doing that, basically. So she doesn't really have a lot of true parental guidance, per se. And mm -hmm. that, as she gets through college, starts to be more and more of a problem. But the music is really sweet. Um, it's The composer is Sam Phillips, and she does a lot of like instrumental cues throughout the series, but also like little vocal cues that are very distinctive and uh, very sweet. And the the whole thing is shot in such a way that it it always looks like it's fall, even when it's not during fall. So people talk about starting this show over again in, in autumn, but, you know, it has that girls in sweaters and pumpkin spice lattes nice. kind of feel to it and yeah, stuff. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it was shot in LA, though. Like, the set is the oh. same as parts of, like, <laughs> parts of Stars Hollow or, like, a back lot of Paramount or something. So. Oh, wow. You can actually see parts of Stars Hollow in other movies and TV shows and stuff. But it does have that feel of of like this little small town. And it also reminds me of a variety of small towns in Ohio, including places that I went to grad school and places near me that are like, you know, basically two or three streets. And yeah. it reminds me a lot of the town of Yellow Springs in Ohio, which is just full of local shops and you know, you can kind of walk the whole thing in 20 minutes, basically. <laughs> yeah. And so I like that element a lot more than like the rich Ivy League kinds of moments right. in the series. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's just, it's very sweet. It's very fun. It's a long show though. It's because it was originally on broadcast television. There are 153 episodes and seven seasons (laughs) plus a four episode revival that was on Netflix. Oh, right. In 20. I forgot about that. It was on in, oh, I'm sorry. It was on in 2016. Okay. That is kind of controversial among fans. I don't hate it, but the thing that's interesting is I actually didn't watch this when it was on. Um, so I've oh, only okay. seen it much later. But the other thing that's kind of like, it does make me feel nostalgic in various ways because I am kind of in between their ages. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of things with Rory's growing up that feel familiar, even though I am older than her. And I see a lot of things with Lorelai that feel very familiar and relatable, even though I am younger than her. So and if you are nostalgic for the early 2000s, this was originally on from 2000 to 2007. So if you miss a time period uh, when people used flip phones and wore (laughs) Bell bottoms. This is the show for you. <laughs> low rise jeans. Low rise, lots of low rise jeans. Um, and there's also <laughs> a lot of young actors in some of their first roles. I should also give a shout out to the guy who plays Richard Gilmore, Lorelai's dad, played by the late Edward Herman. He is just a delight, and he was a veteran character actor, and also extremely tall, which is sometimes yeah. kind of funny. But he's he's really good in this part, even though Richard is. Richard is a bit of an inscrutable character, but Edward Herman plays him really well. But some of Rory's boyfriends are played by now more famous actors, including Jared Padalecki from Supernatural and the revival of Walker, Texas Ranger, Milo Ventimiglia, who is better known from Heroes and This Is Us, and Liza Weil, who is Paris, was also on How to Get Away with Murder, mm-hmm. playing a vastly different character. So that's kind of that's kind of interesting. But obviously, you know, Melissa McCarthy went on to extreme fame, pretty much like at the tail end of this show and a little bit after. Um, so it's just fun to see her be young. And then, of course, Lauren Graham had before this, she was mostly known for some long term guest roles on Caroline in the City and News Radio, playing extremely over the top comedic characters. And so to have moments where she gets to show some dramatic chops here is really nice. And then she, of course, went on to parenthood for a long time. Mm-hmm. But there's also like random, you'll be like, oh, hey, it's that person, or oh, hey, it's that. Um, so there's a lot of that. And uh, yeah, it's just, and of course, this was a show created by Amy Sherman Palladino, who went on to do, uh, we already talked about Bunheads recently, mm-hmm. which was her one season show on Freeform. But then of course, now she's the creator and showrunner of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And many Gilmore Girls actors and guest stars have later gone on to Mrs. Maisel. And so yeah, like, Alex Borstein, who is Susie on Mrs. Maisel, has a small part in season one of Gilmore Girls. But it's just very comforting. I'm rewatching it with my husband this time around, which he hadn't watched it before. We started also making an in-joke about producer Helen Pye's name is cute, and it sounds like she makes pie. Um, (laughs) So we always talk about that. But yeah, it's just, it's so cozy. The, The dialogue is rapid fire. Apparently, the scripts were always twice as long as a normal script because they have so much dialogue. They talk really, really fast. They make weird, obscure pop culture references that sometimes even I don't understand and have to look up. (laughs) But I think that is why people love it, because it's very layered. Mm -hmm. And it's just very 
sweet and cozy. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. I love a good cozy show. Yeah. I used to watch this a little bit when I was on. Yeah. Not, like, religiously. Not every (laughs) episode. And then there were reruns a lot. I don't know at what time period, but I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember them being on during the day a lot, just like mm-hmm. multiple episodes in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would catch some of those. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's cute. Cool. Yeah. Another fun show. Yes. This one's kind of cozy too. Yes, it is. We've been watching Only Murders in the Building season two. Yes. Which just ended. Yeah. So this is on Hulu. It's 10 episodes. It's about like 35 40 minutes they're all kind of weird lengths yeah it's not it's not a full hour but it's a little longer usually than just a half an hour yeah yeah but we talked about season one last year i believe Mm -hmm. do you want to give us the setup yeah just to just to recap this is steve martin martin short and selena gomez all live in the same apartment building in the upper west side of manhattan and in and they also have a true crime podcast together that's called Only Murders in the Building. Season one, they covered in their podcast a murder that happened in their building. And at the very end of season one, another resident of the building shows up dead in Selena Gomez's apartment. So season two is all about them trying to solve the murder of Bunny, who had been the building the building manager. Or, or like the head of the co-op board, basically, because it's a condo building. So, And many people think that the three of them, Charles, Oliver, and Mabel, were the murderers, or that Mabel herself alone was the murderer, because Bunny, Jane Howdyshell played Bunny Folger, and she has a pretty large part in flashbacks in season two. But she shows up in Mabel's apartment, Mabel played by Selena Gomez, having been stabbed but then also Mabel is a knitter mm-hmm. and Mabel has little bits of gaps of her memory of this moment because it was really traumatic to see this woman kind of fall into her arms covered in blood, basically. Yeah. And so Mabel starts to worry that she either stabbed Bunny or killed her with one of her own knitting needles, right? So yeah. And there's a competing podcast that's run by this woman named Cinda Canning, played by Tina Fey, who is clearly supposed to be... <laughs> a parody of Sarah Koenig, who does the serial podcast. (laughs) And Cinda decides that she's going to do a a new short form podcast that is basically laying the blame at the foot of Mabel for this. And so she's like, digging into Mabel's past and like, just uncovering random stuff and is pretty much terrible to poor Mabel. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to I really don't want to spoil listeners too much. But what were some other elements that are important to bring up or, or that you especially liked about this season? Did you think this season was as good as season one? I it did. You know what? It's interesting because I watched season... I binged most of season one. Mm. And then I liked it so much that I watched season two week to week. So it was a slightly different experience for me. Yeah. But it's so good that it is something that I want to binge and I want to find out what happened. <laughs> I think it's important to mention that the police are also interested in Mabel. Yes. And the boys, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so there's a detective, Detective Kreps, who keeps sort of hanging around 
Mm-hmm. He's played by Michael Rappaport, which I should remember because <laughs> we were talking about that in one of our text chats. Yes. But, okay, I guess what I really... There are a couple things I really like about it. One is just... <laughs> like, Steve Martin and Martin Short obviously have been friends for so long. <laughs> and they have such good chemistry. But also, Selena Gomez has good chemistry with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they're just this really cute trio. And they're really likable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're exasperating. But yes. I, I really love the like generational gaps between them Mm -hmm. and sometimes mabel will do things like uh she'll take out her phone to record uh, a little snappy piece of dialogue or something for the podcast and then she's like oh gosh what am i turning into because that's what oliver does (laughs) yes (laughs) so it's just fun to see them interact and they're really funny and sometimes Mm -hmm. Like, I just laugh out loud during their scenes together. Oh, yeah. There's also this really cute moment that's a similar generational thing that happens when Steve Martin's character, Charles, had had this long-term girlfriend um, who had a young daughter, Lucy, Mm -hmm. who was played by Zoe Coletti. And she shows back up. And she's kind of the closest thing Charles ever had to a daughter, but she's still pretty young, like in high school. And she's definitely Gen Z, whereas Mabel is like almost 30 and is much more of a millennial. And, you know, Charles and Oliver give Mabel a hard time for being so young and, and she gives it right back to them for being old. But then when Lucy shows up and is trying to relate to Mabel as like fellow young people, Mabel is like... I don't even understand anything of what you're saying. Like, what? Is, who is this TikToker? Who is this? What are, you, what are you talking about? And Lucy uses a lot of vocabulary, which is just, yeah. So I think it's important to note that it's not like Mabel is a teenager. She is a, no. you know, moving into not quite middle age, but she is, you know, an elder millennial at this point. <laughs> so I thought that was very, very cute. And she has this um, love interest in season two, Alice, played by Kara Del, oh, I'm gonna mess Delavine, this up. I think. Delavine, is it? Delavine? Okay. Delavine? <laughs> I don't know, actually. <laughs> she has a love interest in season two, Alice, who is an artist and British and a little bit inscrutable. And so that storyline is kind of interesting because you're not sure if maybe Alice has something to do with the murder. Um, she is certainly one of the suspects. I don't know. I don't know that I was that invested this season in worrying about who necessarily was the murderer. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I think I was a little more interested <laughs> in season one. This time I was much more kind of along for the ride. And okay. yeah, yeah, there's a lot of just like funny moments. It is extremely comedic. But if you like cozy mysteries, you would like this. If you like mm-hmm. just a sitcom, you would like this. If you like true crime podcasts and want to see them satirized, you would like this. (laughs) I do think that with this season, they did a better job of humanizing the victim and letting Bunny's story unfold. Mm -hmm. And that they had like a one major episode that was like a full flashback to her last day alive. And that was a really sweet, sad episode, I thought. Yeah, I like that a lot. That ties into one of the things that I wanted to mention, which they did this in season one as well, but every episode is narrated by a different person. Yes. So you get a beginning teaser and then the end cap. 
just with a different character that you don't really expect all the time telling their story for a little bit and how it weaves into the trio's story. Mm-hmm. And I just really love that technique and I think mm-hmm. they do it really well. And that's, yeah, that's the bunny gets an episode like that. And I thought that was really great. Yeah. I th- really liked Kara. I think I looked it up. It was, it's Delavine. Oh, okay. Kara <laughs> Delavine. I liked her, but I th- wanted more screen time from her because, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there were some things that wa- I wanted to be explained a little bit more. Like, I just wanted to delve a little bit more deeply into that. But one of the things about this season, and maybe it's the same as last season, you'll have to remind me, but um, while we were along for the ride of the mystery, we've got personal things going on with each of the main characters yeah so yeah mabel has this love interest and she's trying to like sort of not put her life back together but just kind of recoup after everything that happened in season one Mm -hmm. and become more normal again and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and charles has his relationship with lucy and then Mm -hmm. oliver has a a plot line about his son and his son is directing a children's version of wizard Oz. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like some drama with that and other things revolving around his his son and yeah so i think it was cool to delve deeper into those characters mm-hmm. at the same time as the mystery yeah yeah and we don't think of martin short as really being I don't think I've ever seen him in any role that was even remotely dramatic, ever. <laughs> but this is his most kind of human and relatable role, even though he's still extremely over the top. Yeah. And he, but he has moments with his son that are very sympathetic and subtle mm-hmm. and sweet and, you know, that get you choked up um, seeing. Yep. And he has he has some interesting character moments with Nathan Lane's character. Nathan Lane plays Teddy Demos and he was in season one. And there's there's a scene with the two of them that was really pretty powerful. Steve Martin, I think, does have the capacity to show a little bit more dramatic side every so often. But you again, you don't think of Martin Short like that. And Selena Gomez, like, she has a very deadpan delivery. I think I talked about this last season. <laughs> yeah. But and part of that comes off very like a dry wit and she can be really, really funny. But some of that you start to see in this season that some of her affect may be a little bit more due to some trauma that she's still processing and not just from sad things that happened to her in season one and in this season, but also things that she experienced in childhood and that she has a tendency to question her own memory and feel a little disconnected from things. And I think they explore some of that a little bit more. But yeah, it's just so... Like, for being about murder and having kind of salty language in every episode, it's so (laughs) sweet and wholesome. And clearly, by the end of this season, our main trio is very much like a little family. Mm -hmm. um, And that they both guys think of Mabel as a surrogate daughter figure. And it's just really, really sweet. So It is, yeah. uh, (laughs) I know. I love it. And there will be a season three. Yes. Um, I'm already excited about it. (laughs) Yes, there is a, I will say that the end of season two's finale sets us right up for season three in some really exciting ways. So I'm looking forward to that. 
Yeah, and I want to mention that the finale was really well done. Yes. Like, I just, I knew there were surprises coming, but I didn't know what they were going to be, and I just thought they did such a good job with it. They did. That was, there was a lot of, yeah, I, let's leave it there. I don't want to spoil <laughs> yeah. anyone for anything. But this is on Hulu, and since we do already have a season three in the works, I think this would be a great time to binge both seasons if you haven't already. Yeah, I recommended this to my sister, mm-hmm. and I think I might go back and rewatch season one. <laughs> okay, do it. Yeah, I bet there's a lot that uh, I didn't pick up on. I will say, as a very nerdy person, I joined the subreddit on this show during the <laughs> latter half of season two, and man, those people get serious. They get very wow. investigating. They've like made diagrams of the apartment building, and like, oh, this is where this person's apartment is, and this is where, and like, oh my good grief, like. <laughs> Little little walls in their house with strings and photographs and stuff. The conspiracy board. It's crazy. But that's fun though. Yeah, it is fun. Well, where can we find the other shows that we talked about today? Yes, Motherland, Fort Salem, as you mentioned, is available on Hulu. That was originally on Freeform, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so you can find that streaming there. As well as Only Murders in the Building is also streaming on Hulu. And Gilmore Girls is currently streaming on Netflix. Excellent. So next week, we're going to be talking about Maggie Rogers' new album, Surrender, and the psychological horror movie, The Empty Man. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And me at KW Taylor Writer. And the show on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. You can also find our website at PositivelyPopCulture.com. And from there, you can find the link to the merch store, as well as our email, which is PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy and safe and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.